They always say, trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Welcome to Curious Now. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every other week, I sit down with a brilliant expert to go beyond the headlines. Today, we're speaking with Annie Wu Henry. If you haven't heard of Annie, you've almost definitely seen her work. She's a social media and digital strategy expert for progressive organizations and campaigns. She was the TikTok queen behind John Vetterman's victorious Senate race. Yes! And these days, she's the creative director and digital communications lead at the AAPI Victory Fund and working on digital and social strategy with the Working Families Party. And she's joining us to discuss her political strategy work, her take on Gen Z and millennial voters, and how she's planning to post her way through the presidential elections. If you cannot wait to hear that convo and you just want to skip over these headlines, I understand your life, honey. Pop down to the episode description and you can see the point in time that you need to skip ahead to. But for now, let's get over to our news desk. Hello, Jonathan. This is Jonathan reporting live from my podcasting room. In our headlines, this... Oh, no, that was way too Australian. Oh. These are the headlines. No, Jesus Christ, I have to go American again. Ah, wow. Thanks, British Australian Jonathan, who got taken to Australia when you were a small British child and your accent got woefully confused. And headlines that even straight people are talking about. The United Auto Workers Union is on strike against Detroit's big three automakers, General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. Now... I just saw that uh, 45, orange one who must not be named, was going to go do a chat over there with them. And, you know, he can just get bucked. Uh, But over the last four years, the big three have raised CEO pay by a whopping 40%, and workers' pay has only increased by 6%. That is not enough. This is the first UAW strike in history to target the big three automakers simultaneously. So unionizers, unions are having a moment. It is not just entertainment. Now it is the auto industry and you know things come in threes. So I wonder who's striking next. I think hot sluts should go on strike. I've had it. In fact, I'm on strike right fucking now. No more. I've had it with all of you fucking people. Anyway, This is so far a targeted strike, meaning that three specific plants are the only ones stopping production. A targeted strike lets unions save resources and extend a walkout without completely draining their strike fund. The UAW, however, called for more strikes on Friday after no progress was made in negotiations. We've been following our Getting Curious guest, Kim Kelly, for coverage. As she says, quote, The strike is a battle for the soul of the working class, our dignity, our livelihoods, and our existence. But obviously, this is a really big time for unions. I also can't help but tie this back to elections, which we're going to talk about a little bit later with Annie. But if unions and workers' rights, gun rights, queer rights, reproductive rights are important to you, and if the separation of church and state is important to you, this is a really huge election for you. Now, 
It was the UN General Assembly this past week in New York City. President Biden was there, amongst other world leaders. Climate change protesters flooded the streets of New York City. These protesters, though, were demanding that President Biden declare a public emergency and stop the use of fossil fuels. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who spoke at the rally, said, quote, the United States continues to be approving a record number of fossil fuel leases, and we must send a message right here today. You know, there is a lot of polarization on environmental, on how we should proceed in the environment within the Democratic Party. I think that this is an example of that. I think that President Biden is in a really difficult position, though, because I think so often Democratic leaders that are more centrist tend to pander to the right, which is, I think, why a lot of these approvals are still happening at such a high clip. And when you see people like the Sunrise Movement and young people who are very passionate about climate change and these decisions by the Biden administration continue to undermine those environmental pacts that he made and those environmental promises that he's made on the campaign trail. And it kind of panders to the right so that they can say like, oh, well, you know, we're still pro-business. We're we're not, you know, we're still pro-business. And that's what the right is always kind of demonizing the left for. So I do think this is, there's clearly a fissure here within the Democratic Party. And we need to kind of see like, what is the best strategy? Because I just don't want any more uh, Republican Supreme Court justices and we need to not be alienating our young people who are going to turn out to vote or not vote in droves based off of what happens, you know, with this environmental record. (sighs) Oh my God, am I like going to get an MSNBC show? I'm scared. Am I the next Rachel Maddow? I can't believe we're all going to MSNBC, you guys. Um... Oh, okay. This is a really important story. Early voting has started in some states across the country, including Virginia. As we know, there are no like off-year elections. There are just like odd-year elections. We learned that from our friends at Sister District. So this is an off-year election in Virginia. We just had a special election in Pennsylvania. We're going to have another special election in Utah, which actually is kind of interesting because even though it still is Republicans, it's kind of pitting like a centrist Republican up against like a really extreme like Trumpy Republican. So we'll see how that plays out. But Virginia is a huge bellwether because a lot of times what happens in Virginia's off-year elections can indicate what happens in the presidential or midterm election subsequently. But this past week, Democrats retook their razor-slim majority in Pennsylvania's House of Representatives after Lindsey Powell won a special election. I believe it's like 102 versus 101 now. And they're... It's, but they have like a one person, you know, razor thin, but still we love to see it. Uh, anything's better than nothing. Governor Josh Shapiro also announced that the state will be rolling out automatic voter registration. Any eligible voter who gets a new driver's license or ID card will automatically be registered to vote. That's an incredible news. Pennsylvania is the 24th state to implement automatic voter registration. We love to see it. For our next segment, stories that made me go, whoa. Two huge tanks of wine burst at a distillery in the Portuguese town of Livira. 2.2 million liters of red wine flooded the streets. That's 9,298,856 glasses of wine. I have some family members who would have been in those streets just face down drinking everything that would have rushed past them. It's a lot of grapes to waste. I'm a little devastated. Jesus. As we learned from Dr. Chanda Prescott-Weinstein, the universe is one big, bouncy, ever-expanding dental dam. And now, that dental dam is home to an HIV drug lab in space. The Varda Space Industries capsule is the first orbital factory. It has successfully manufactured crystals for an HIV drug, so now I, too, could be blasted off to space, leave all these fuckers behind, and not get full-blown AIDS. Thank God. I am so happy to keep myself undetectable and untransmittable. Thank you, Varda. We love you. And if you're looking for a new spokesgirl, it won't be me. Whatever. Maybe it will be me. I don't know. But now the U.S. Air Force and the FAA are denying its re-entry to Earth. What? Just because it's got HIV? That is outrageous. We'll keep tabs on its orbit and we hope it's safe landing. Jesus Christ. It's giving viral underclass. A study found that giant pandas experience negative effects from jet lag, just like us. They're so floppy and silly and cute, those silly fucks. Ah. When they are held cat, no. When they are held captive outside of their natural habitat range, their circadian rhythms don't match up with their environments. That makes so much sense based off of our research with like neuroscience and, and sleep patterns and sleep science. We learned all about that. 
In the study, the jet lag caused pandas to perform fewer activities related to mating. They don't want to fuck when they're tired. Who does? I know I don't. In other news, a black bear was sighted in a tree at Disney World. You silly fuck! Get out of there! Which caused parts of the park to close last week. Oh my god, I bet people were so mad. Experts say it was probably hunting for food ahead of winter hibernation. Hungry, the bear was later captured and released into the Florida wild. Now moving on to our next segment, which is the gay agenda. A Virginia library that's been around since the 18th century, aka the literal 1700s, could lose its funding for offering children's books that contain LGBTQIA plus topics. Thanks, Governor Youngkin. The library is set to run out of operating funds by the end of September if they don't work towards an agreement with the county's board of supervisors. A community group called Clean Up... I need some water. I'm getting too pissed. A community group called Clean Up Samuels instigated the dispute. And to them, we say, get fucked, bitch. And stop... Whatever. I was going to say something... Whatever. But in better news, Nashville elected Tennessee's first openly transgender politician. Olivia Hill, a veteran and engineer, won a seat on the Nashville City Council. Her victory means that women now make up the majority of Nashville's Metro Council. And if there's any terse listening to this, I could literally just hear your on fire and I... Ah! Ah! It's time for our last segment, which is... On your radar. On your radar. On your radar. This past week, a 100 and... Oh my God, I love this story. Well, I hate it, but I love it. It's duality. I hate that the fire happened, but like, oh my God, the resilience. This past week, a 150-year-old tree that was charred by the Maui wildfires in August spouted its first new green leaves. That gorgeous tree's alive! But news stories don't end even when they leave the news cycle. And after devastating wildfires back in August, Maui still needs help and attention. Continuing to support organizations like the Hawaii Community Foundation and mutual aid initiatives from groups like the Hawaii People's Fund can help with recovery efforts and disaster prevention. So let's not let it slip out of mind. There's also so many folks who still need support in Maui. And while you're at it, look up a mutual aid group in your area. There's more where all of these stories came from. We'll be linking the stories in the episode description. Um, We'll also be linking them on our Instagram. uh, And also we'll be linking these groups. So you can find out more there. And that's just all the time we have for our headlines this week. Jonathan, what do you have for us in the studio? Thanks so much, Jonathan. We are now going to be tossing the mic to Annie Wu Henry. Annie is an amazing social media and digital strategy expert for campaigns and progressive organizations. Here's our conversation on how we can get politically active on social media. Annie, how are you? I am so good. So happy to chat. Honey, just so y'all can visualize this podcast world, I'm in in a closet with ring lights. (laughs) Annie is in front of a gorgeous, like, window, just bathed in, like, just natural light, giving us, like, perfect social media understanding. No, because your frame is giving me perfection. Okay, so it's kind of wild when you think about it that TikTok didn't even exist when Trump was elected president. So how do you think TikTok has changed the game for electoral politics? It's always funny because I I was a journalism and political science major in college, and I knew I wanted to be in politics but I didn't necessarily know how. And I was interested in social media. But I always say that like when I was in school, my job currently, like it didn't exist. And so how was I supposed to know that's what I wanted to do? But yeah, I mean, I think these spaces online, whether it be TikTok, whether it be whatever you want to call the old bird app um, (laughs) has been bought by, you know, Instagram, so Facebook, all these things that are popping up, like they're, they're only expanding and they're only growing more and more people are just constantly going to be online, whether we like it or not. That's how they're ingesting their information. That's where they're getting it. That's where they're connecting with people. And so being there is really important because that is, again, that's, that's where they're getting their information. And in politics, we have a saying a lot of times in strategy that like, it's like meet people where they're at. And at this point, I think that's a bit overused, but it's it's so true that you, you need to be where the people are going to be because them going out of the way to find you, you're going to find the people that are already really active and engaged, but you're not going to find those people that maybe would be interested, but need someone to give them a little push. And if it pops up, if it pops up on their For You page, they're maybe likely to give that little 10 or 15 second video a listen, whether it's coming from, you know, a candidate or a party or an organization or just a person talking about a candidate or a party or a person or an issue that they care about. Mm. Okay, so what goes into creating TikTok videos for a political candidate or a group? 
I mean, it's different for every person or group. Obviously, you have to know like what your end goal is. One of the things I really love about campaigns, I'm very like project oriented, is that like it feels like one big project and everyone has the same goal. It's election day, getting voters to the polls to vote for your candidate and to win. And so everything should be contributing to that or to something that's going to help us do that. Whereas if it's an organization that's more issue-based, if it's a sitting member, their goal might be a little bit different, as well as the the principal or whoever you're talking about is going to be different as well, creating for. And I think authenticity is also a word that we overuse a bit, again, because it's very true, but you need to you need to stay true to who they are. There were a lot of trends that like we were just never going to do on the Fetterman campaign because it just it wasn't something that he would ever do. He would find it cringy. He would not want to do that. And so finding the humor that he liked and what made sense for him, it's very different than, for example, if I was running social media or making videos for, you know, Pete Buttigieg or Gavin Newsom or, you know, you could name any politician. It's going to it's going to vary because it should be it should still be true to who, who they are, because the whole purpose of a platform like TikTok, I think, is is to show that authenticity. You get to see videos of people talking or moving or whatever it might be. And I think that's really powerful. And so using it in the most authentic way possible. What were some of your favorite viral moments from the Fetterman campaign that you guys got to create? I mean, there were so many. I mean, personally, as a Swifty, I loved that we were able so quickly to use the it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. (laughs) And that one did really well because it was just so simple and easy for people to understand as well as it was fun. I, this was not like the biggest moment, but I just think it's so fun because it's something that I never would have imagined myself being able to do in a workplace setting, especially in a political workplace setting, was using the Adam Levine, like thirst, like DM (laughs) um, meme. Um, And we were able to do that just in some ways. And then also for fundraising asks, but it was like using some of those moments that I just never thought would be like given an okay. And (laughs) I give a lot of credit to our leadership that was like, we trust you to understand these spaces and these things. Yeah, there were so many. I mean, everyone loved crudite. I think as someone who was ingesting all of the sentiment around crudite, like I would like to mute that word forever from my brain. But I understand fully why it was so such a beloved moment. I think it was it was a an attack sort of in politics that didn't feel gross or grimy. Nobody was getting really personal about it. It was just like a ridiculous video that everyone could find some like fun in seeing why it was ridiculous. And again, it didn't make it didn't make people feel like some of the attack ads on TV that are like just really nasty. It didn't make them feel like that. It was just like everyone knows how to grocery shop, like except for you, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I did love that moment. And I certainly heard of it, even though I was Team Fetterman before that moment happened. Love him. And I'm so glad that he won. I was like watching his election so closely. And I'm so happy that he did it. PA is such an important state. It really is. Um, And they have actually a lot of off-election things going on right now. They have, like, some House seats up or, like, a Supreme Court seat up. Like, there's some important shit happening in Pennsylvania. Yeah, PA Supreme Court is coming up in November. And as a very purple state, you know, a state that went for the the orange guy in 2016 and went for, um, you know... Joey B in 2020, it, it's very diverse. I'm from a really conservative, rural, white area, scary of Pennsylvania. But like those areas aren't to be forgotten. And I do think one thing that like we hopefully showed with this every county, every vote mentality in Fetterman, we went to so many red places and we had so much support in those places. And so they're not lost. And again, a lot of these things like autonomy, people's ability to get married to who they want to get married to, people's ability to have like, just live their authentic selves. Like those are things that a lot of people can understand if you just talk to them. Yes. I mean, I do think trans rights and trans issues are like hard because I feel like Republicans get so 
down and dirty so fast. Like, whether it's, like, saying, like, you know, birthing person, what's that? Or, like, three-year-old shouldn't this and that. And then you got to be, like, you got to talk about, like, misinformation and disinformation. It's, like, a larger thing. So I feel like it's, like, harder with trans stuff. But for everything else, I'm, like, vibing so hard everything that you're saying. I, and I also, the every counting, every vote thing is so important for statewide candidacy because, like, you never want to write anything off because it's not like the Electoral College applies to counties. Like, for governor and for senator and stuff. So you really do got to go to like every county and don't write anyone off. So any Democrats listening right now, every county, every vote. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars. It's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So I, I love this term. You've described yourself as a zillennial. So what do you think people, which I am guessing is a, is a combination of a millennial and a Gen Z person. You're like cusp. Uh, so what do you think people miss when they talk about millennial and Gen Z voters? Yeah, so I was born in 96. Some people will consider me a Gen Z. Some people will consider me a millennial. I definitely see both sides of myself and how I go about things or how I think about things. And I also like, I think can also look at the different groups kind of from the outside and see what I what I notice about them. And one difference is that like millennials were really politically shaped by the Obama years. That was a lot of like millennial generations first election, first time being politically engaged and understanding that. And that was an era of a lot of hope and it was this big historic thing that this country did. And then you know, Gen Z, a lot of their first election, whether they were able to vote in it or not, but the first election they really like could understand was 2016. And, you know, that was something that's still very traumatizing to a lot of people um, with how that how that turned out. And pretty much the opposite, this feeling of like we did this big thing before and now we're not even just like going backwards. We're like we're, we're digging ourselves deeper. And so Sometimes millennials, like, I think have more faith in some of the systems in some of these because they've seen it work, whereas Gen Z's have not. And I think when you communicate, especially to Gen Z's, you need to understand where that perspective is coming from of that they haven't ever expected to be able to afford college without massive student loan debt. They haven't ever expected to be able to buy a home very easily. They haven't expected anything to be easy. They haven't known a planet that hasn't been on fire or that there was going to be hope because their entire lives has been like, has, hasn't necessarily been progress that they've been viewing. And so I think coming at things at a lens of understanding that perspective with, with the different groups is really important to keep in mind. This is kind of off topic, but, or it's on topic, but I don't, I just, it's coming for me. 
How much of an impact do you think that the Dobbs decision is going to have on 2024 for Gen Z and millennial voters? I, I think it's a huge, huge issue that honestly, pretty across partisan lines, like a, a lot of people are very upset, which is what it means. And that people did not expect this to happen. I think specifically with, with young voters, millennials and Gen Zs, that this is a right, a human right that our grandparents had that we are not going to get to have. And that's a very stark and obvious regression of progress. And so as we've seen in the special elections that have happened, as we've seen in, you know, the elections that have occurred since the Dobbs decision, like being against abortion, being against basic autonomy over someone's body is not a winning issue and has not been a winning issue yet since that that decision's happened. And I think people really are understanding the stakes of, of what that means. And also, if we don't do something about it, how things like that can be even further. But how interesting, you know, when you think about it, that Dobbs happened and then our midterms were literally after Dobbs and we still lost the House, which to me, I think, I know that we did better than what we thought we were going to do. This is also off topic, but I, I think this is a really important question. And I'm really concerned about it. And I think I maybe am like, I, we need more Zillennials and Gen Zs to like be able to lead the charge on this. But I do think that we, when it comes to narrative, and I think that Gavin Newsom said this, like we are seeming to get crushed on narrative. And I think when it comes to like, you know, any sort of House committee hearing or Senate hearing, they're constantly coming up. Republicans are trying constantly trying to like, you know, make us seem like we don't even know what a woman is. And, you know, they're getting us off on all these like fringe ideas, but really like we have a huge ethics scandal at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is like literally who reversed our right to bodily autonomy for abortions, for women's rights and birthing people's rights for bodily autonomy. In states like where I live, like Texas, you know, people can't get an abortion. They're trying to kind of get it clarified, but still it's a nightmare. So many women are dealing with, you know, serious repercussions to their bodies. There's teens that are having pregnancies in like places like Mississippi and Arkansas that can't get out of there. And I also think like, Obviously, climate is a huge issue for a lot of young voters. How do you think we can like get ahead of some of these really complicated messaging issues and like simplify it for people? Yeah, I mean, I think the the left in just historically, we haven't done the best job at letting people know why what we care about is important in simplified terms. A lot of these things are very nuanced and there should be room for nuance and to have those further conversations. But to get people's attention, you can't start off with the, the long paragraph of text that is all of the nuance. You need to give kind of the top line reasonings. And I think, for example, like what we've seen more recently with things like abortion is that no matter timeline or any of these things that the the right is arguing like it is autonomy over someone's body and people should have that right and we need to be able to concretely do that with all of these issues like with lgbtq plus issues with the education kind of suppression that has started to happen we try to talk around of like why they're wrong and not just like why this just should be common sense and you know, I think with, with messaging, a lot of the times things come off as so political. I live in Philly. Usually I'm calling in right now from New York, but I, I don't live in DC. And I think so much of my perspective, I like to keep from like Philly and DC because a lot of times when I'm in DC and I'm around people who work in it and I'm around everyone who's reading the news and is watching the news and knows the latest legislation. Like we all have like vernacular and understandings of things that like everyday people don't. And one of the things that we did on, you know, the Fetterman campaign that I'm, I just think was so beautifully done by our, our entire team across the board was just, we had a really populist messaging. It was pretty easy for people to understand. And it wasn't this like super left or super right. It was just like, caring about everyday people. When you go to the grocery store, prices are going up. Like, I will protect your right to get married. I will protect you and your identity to be authentically who you are. Like, I am against corporate and influential spending in politics. Like, these really easy things for people to understand that it didn't... And I think that's why we had, we had a ton of Republicans that, like, were in support of John. And so I think it was 
because we were able to message from a populist way and not trying to get into the nitty gritty that a lot of people don't even then take the time to understand. And not that that's right either. No, that's so fucking brilliant. How do you translate likes and shares into votes though? Like, do, did you see a correlation um, into the work that you guys did on social media and, and actually turning people out on voting day? Yeah, I mean, there's so many aspects that contribute to why someone might vote for a candidate. And I think social media is one important piece of that big puzzle. But I always say, like, I think it's in advertising. It's like, or maybe it's remembering names. It's like seven times. And I think social media is one of them, right? Like, if you see a billboard or if you see an ad on TV, you might be like, oh, whatever. And then you see them pop up. And then you see, you get a mailer and all of these different things. At, at one point or another, if you're doing effective messaging, hopefully someone will say, like, oh, I'm going to go check that person out. I think with social media on on my end was I really wanted to keep things authentic to the platforms because not only do you need to meet people where they are, you need to meet them the way in which they're using that space. And so like it, it'd be great, yes, to like have a video and have a bunch of people being like, vote blue, like, which again, you should do. But like, it's it's better for someone to like, engage with it actively and say like, oh, I learned something or, oh, I'm going to tag some friends in this or, oh, this was entertaining and I want to share this with someone because that's how that's how you can get people not just like passively engaging, but actively engaging in what you're doing. And then again, hopefully having some personal, you know, affiliation with with the candidate or, or an issue or what you're doing that they're like, I'm going to take this a step further. I'm going to do a phone bank. I'm going to go to an event. I'm going to donate money. I'm going to tell some friends. And then ultimately, ideally, like I'm going to vote for this person because you want them to not just see it, not just like it, but you want them to take action. And so I think it's giving them those, those reasons to. Yes. Now the presidential election may be a year away, which is Wow. But the race has already begun. So how are candidates faring on social media so far? I mean, I think they're doing fine. Like, I think they're doing good. There's been some, you know, hit videos. Uh, There was one a little bit back during the summer of Marjorie Taylor Greene giving a statement that was pretty pro-Biden and, you know, the the Biden-Harris campaign using that as a moment uh, that caught some traction. I think one thing with the online space that we have to remember, especially about timing, because so much of, of social media is about timing. I can talk about Grimace right now. And it's like, who's that? That was a trend that was like <laughs> two months ago. That's old news. And so much of it is about timing, especially with politics. People, you know, especially if they're not as actively engaged in the political news space, they're not maybe going to see a video in September of 2023 and say like, this is what's going to make me go vote all of these months later in, in 2024. So A, I think it's like starting now and building some base to like keep going and building that beginning relationship, I guess, parasocial relationship sort of with, with potential voters, but also like understanding that so much of this is going to keep coming. And a lot of what the discourse is right now, and a lot of these moments that are happening are a lot of the people that are just really highly engaged and going to probably inform themselves anyway. And for some of these other folks, we need to be actively figuring out how we can we can reach them as well. Because if you're following, I always say this, like if you're following like a bunch of candidates, a bunch of news outlets, like a, a political party, different organizations like on social media, you're probably someone who's going to do your due diligence. You're probably someone who's going to at least like look up who's running for office, know when election day is, et cetera. And so trying to figure out how to get on the For You pages, how to cater content in a way that's going to pop up for people who, who the algorithm's not already like, oh, they they like politics. That's important. Ooh, that's a really good one. Like, yeah, how that's, that was the million dollar question. So if you're any like political strategist, like understanding what Annie just said right now, you better fucking get that together. That's so good. Let's face it. I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like 
a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because, like, yes, good credit. So let's, like, do try to do that and, like, making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wajahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. So I actually have like a little bit of questions like on but off. So presidentially at this point, it seems that Trump and Biden are the prospective nominees. Like we don't know yet, but we that's probably what's going to happen. What are your biggest fears or hurdles that you think that we have? Like, or what do we need to do to prevent a Trump 2024? Do you think? Cause, cause I think some folks are a little worried right now. Like, are you worried? I mean, I think you should never feel like anything's guaranteed. I think, Oh, I mean, I also, my first election cycle was 2016. And so mm. I think that guides a lot of my perspective on things because I, we, people felt so confident. We looked at the polling, you looked at all of these different symbols and we thought, you know, we were going to have our first woman president and that is not what happened. And so I think, I don't think anyone should feel like anything is ever safe. You should always act like we're behind, even if you're ahead, like, because you just got to keep doing the work because you never know, like, especially in this news cycle, in this climate, like anything can truly happen. I'm kind of going into this cycle feeling that way. I think, you know, Biden absolutely is, is the better candidate, is the better human, and he's likely going to be the nominee. And I think people can have their thoughts on whether that should be the case or not. You know, voting and supporting who's going to harm people less is my motto. And so, like, if we look at those two candidates, like, who is going to harm people less? Who is going to harm the people you care about less, the issues you care about less? And I have a lot of people online that follow me that are really far left. And whenever I post something about someone who is politically not as left as they are, like, I think nobody is making you pay or do things directly for this candidate. I would vote for them. But... There's so many other races, like we were talking about the House, the Senate, like find a local candidate that is more aligned with your values and put your energy towards that rather than tearing down, you know, someone we still do need to be elected. If you say, I don't want to send my money to whatever, then send your money to a down ballot race. Send your money to a a Democrat that aligns with you, that you agree with, and then still vote down, down the ballot and up the ballot for the people who are going to harm less. And, you know, that's likely going to be Joe Biden on the Democratic ticket side. And I think if if you're upset with that system, get more involved so that in the future it doesn't have to be like this. But that's that's where we're at right now. What are your tips for avoiding misinformation and fake news when being on social? I, I always talk about social media as being powerful, Uh, And I always use the word power because it can be used for good or the opposite. And we definitely see that, especially with the amount of media we consume. And even if it's not misinformation, a lot of people just read the headlines. Yeah, finding trusted sources, whether that's journalists, 
publications or like activists or educators that can really inform you on topics that you trust and still still do due diligence on it. But you can go to and say they're, they're likely going to have some good, reputable information on this. Having that be diverse and not just going to, you know, five journalists at one news outlet, it's going to be a variety. And I also always like to plug like local a lot of times and they're, they're going to have better understandings, whether that's people on the ground and activists and organizers or journalists, they're probably going to have a better understanding of like what the sentiment and what the impact is on that issue in that area than maybe a national reporter. And not because the national reporter isn't, you know, taking the time to to do their work. But because that person's there, it's just I give the example again from our Senate campaign of like just like you wouldn't want a person from out of state representing you. The people that are in your communities are going to understand that more. And a lot of the humor we use of the jokes that he made that didn't land in Pennsylvania, like making fun of someone's health, was because he didn't understand the state because he wasn't from there. And so getting information from the people that are closest to the work is probably going to be people's best bets. Yes. Okay. Local so important. Like, absolutely echoing that. Obsessed with that answer. So you are a full-time political strategist. I love that you said earlier that when you were in college, your job didn't exist yet. And so you kind of like have learned on the job, like becoming a full-time political strategist because it's so much on social. How have you found your voice online during this time? And how has social media changed since you started your work? Yeah, I mean, social is so different. I remember being on my college newspaper and stories started being able to be a thing on Instagram. And I was like, we should get on this for, you know, breaking news or whatever's happening on campus. But I think, you know, I was interested in politics. I was interested in media. I was interested in like people engaging with each other and connecting online and how that all those things could fit together. And I took a very traditional job out of college doing marketing, communications, and social media work to have healthcare, to be able to pay my bills, to be responsible, et cetera. And said, you know, I'd like to be interested in politics. I don't necessarily know how. I was from a really small conservative rural area, and there wasn't a lot of politics visible to me because everyone was so homogenous. And so there wasn't a lot of organizing happening. There there wasn't a lot of campaigning happening that I saw. And so these different ways to be involved and now these new ways I didn't know existed. And the only thing I knew about like politics is like moving to DC and working on Capitol Hill. And I didn't think I necessarily wanted to do that. And so I started just posting. I was very active on social media, just posting about things I liked, whether that was food or whether that was, you know, pop culture or music or movies or whether that was, you know, things politically that I was doing. And I think as I was learning to be an adult in the real world and still trying, I I didn't have like a ton of money I could do to just like donate or uh, all the time in the world to just go and volunteer. But I was trying to do little things and trying to find little resources to educate myself. And I would start sharing those with friends because maybe it would help them too. And, you know, as the social space works. I had some things that went a little bit viral that brought some other people in that I said, you know, I didn't ask for this platform, but if I'm going to have it, I'd like to hopefully be somewhat helpful. And then finding people in in that space as well. I was really earnest. Like I will say that like I I wrote a bunch of articles that were for free on shit you should care about. Um, when that was first starting, I was just do, trying to help wherever I could, helped like women for Biden because I, I couldn't take the job officially on the campaign because I didn't want to give them up my health care yet. But I, I was really earnest just because I was like, what can I do to be involved? And I was always making anything I could like political just because I cared and found myself back in Philly after the primary. I had worked on a congressional primary as well, where I worked that as well as my full-time job to save up some money to dive into politics because it is cyclical work and things like healthcare do come in cycles. And so I needed to give myself a little bit of a, a cushion and safety net to be able to take care of me. And then I had reached out to the Fetterman campaign and said, hey, I have some ideas. I've been doing some of this work with some organizations and different things in Pennsylvania. I have some ideas if you'd like to hire me part time to help or whatever it might be. Like, I just don't want to wake up the day after the election and feel like I could have done more. And then we talked a little bit and they offered me a full time role. And 
here I am. But it hasn't been, it, it's kind of an all over the way path, but I, I think I'm, I'm better for it. And I've learned a lot along the way that I wouldn't have otherwise. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and just for your experience. And thank you so much for like all the work that you do. So you've been an advocate for AAPI communities in politics and beyond. So what's it been like to work with groups like the AAPI Victory Fund? I've I've just learned and grown so much from it. And I'm just so appreciative of being able to work in community. I was adopted at 13 months old. I was adopted into a very loving white family and in a, into a town that was very white. And so a lot of that part of my identity, I didn't explore whether it was some internalized stuff or whether it was just not knowing or having resources or having people around me or seeing it. And as I've gotten older and as, you know, people talk about the phrase like representation matters, like it's so simple and seems so cheesy, but it does, especially as someone who I grew up and I didn't see that. I didn't have things to look up to or to understand like how, you know, other than like Mulan, who's not even a princess, but she's a badass that was going to be a part of who I am and being a part of who I was as a person. And honestly, one of the thing, first things that I wrote about when I was starting to get a bit more politically active online was about when the pandemic had first hit or when it was first starting and being talked about. I don't think it had even hit the U.S. yet. And, you know, some of the rhetoric that our president at the time was using surrounding the virus and kind of giving an ethnicity to something that that does not have an ethnicity and how that was then impacting people who looked like me. And it, and it really, I think started to set in of like, it doesn't matter that I have white parents. It doesn't matter that like, I am very Americanized or whitewashed in these different ways. Like it doesn't matter. Like what people see is like, it's going to shape how my life is and has shaped how my life is. And I've done a lot of, a lot of reflection on that. And so being able to be a part of that space, it's been one of the first times in my life that I've gotten to to really do that. And it, it's different for everyone. It means different things for everyone. Being being able to be in that community, though, means a lot. And when I'm able to talk about things in, in that regard or meet other people and have that, it's it's just something it's hard to describe. But it's it's I'm just really, really grateful for it. I love that you get to be in community. And also, I was thinking earlier, can you tell us what AAPI stands for in case anyone doesn't know? So AAPI, which now has been a bit extended to AANHPI, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander. And so it's trying to be as inclusive as possible, as well as like Asian American is that you're also an American. And so... So how can we support AANHPI rights beyond the ballot box? Yeah, I think it's just like I would recommend supporting any community. It's listening, meeting people and hearing their perspectives seeing what organizations or people doing that work are doing and supporting that. But then there's also basic things that you can do in your everyday life of like what NHPI creators are you following? What NHPI owned restaurants are you going to or brands are you buying from? You know, what actresses and actors and people are you supporting in, in the arts or different things like that? Because I think, you know, showing that that is mainstream. I think we've seen things like, you know, to all the boys and uh, the summer I turned pretty and people like Olivia Rodrigo of like having people that are, yes, they are Asian, but they are also now these mainstream that that's not always been the case. And so watching and supporting and doing things like that is that, that is impactful in itself. Yes. Annie, if anyone's listening to this, episode and your work, and they have just been so inspired to get political on socials. What's something that we can do right now? Yeah, I mean, everyone has a voice and can make an impact. I think the easiest one is just to educate yourself. We're all learning. We're all growing. I'm not perfect. Also, give yourself grace in the process. But starting to try to get informed on the issues and the things that you do care about so that you can start to dig deeper. Then, start to talk to your friends and your family. You can share on social media. Uh, you can attend an event. You can get involved with a local organization. There, there's so many different ways and it doesn't have to look the same. If you, I think a lot of Gen Z sentiment is that like you have to be on TikTok. Like, yes, it's a great place to be. And if you want to, it's an amazing tool that anyone can pull out their phone and make a video and has the potential to reach millions. But if 
if you don't want to be in front of the camera, that's okay too. There's so many other ways to get involved. And I think it's just saying, I, I want to do this, knowing why you want to do it and what you want to do it for, and then figuring out what the best way to do that is. And not any way is right or perfect. Like figure out what makes sense for you, given your interests, as well as like what resources and abilities you, you have. But there's, there's room for all of us and we need it. We need everyone in this space, especially when we talk about things like rest. Like we can take rest because there's so many other people doing the work. And so if you're interested, like, please just get involved, start talking, start trying to learn. And it's not as scary as it may seem or daunting, I promise. Yes, that's so important. And I loved how you said earlier that like the data shows that so many people's opinions are moved by people that are close to them. So your video doesn't even have to go viral. Just like you using your voice, no matter if you, like you said earlier, whether you have like seven, 70, 700,000, no matter the followers, your voice makes such a big impact. I think the biggest mistake that anyone could make is not using their voice in the first place. So please get out there and use that voice. Now it's time for a rapid fire media moment, Annie, so we can really just fully end our gorgeous interview on a gorgeous note. So let's get into our rapid fire media moment. Okay, so what was your pop culture obsession growing up? A story or event or moment you simply couldn't get enough of? I mean, one thing that I was obsessed with as a child was Legally Blonde the Musical. I still am. And it was the first Broadway show I went to. I knew the entire soundtrack. I still do. It also, like, now thinking about, like, what that show is about, like, it makes sense. But, yeah, I was I was deeply obsessed. Anyone who was in a car in my parents' van for multiple years of my life knows that soundtrack and probably hates it. <laughs> I also was really obsessed with the butterfly effect and just, like, think it's a really cool thing and anything that's butterfly effect. I object. What's your current pop culture obsession? Oh, well, Taylor Swift's like, I feel like that's just like the easy answer. So I can't be that. So I've been, this isn't on like my social media in the same way, but I've recently gotten into Bravo. And it's not even because I am really into pop culture, but I've never been a Bravo girl. Like I just have never like kept up. And so it's, it's my blind spot in pop culture, when people make memes, when people have references, like it is my blind spot. And like, I don't want that. And so I'm, I'm doing it for like scientific purposes. I've, I've just finished Vanderpump Rules <laughs> all the way through from the beginning. And so I am I'm doing it. I need to have all the lore. I need to know how it all fits together so that I can like also use it as like references and understand like this area because it's it's a massive part of pop culture. And so that is my current, like, not obsession, but, like, kind of mission right now. <laughs> Money can't buy your class. Money can't buy your class. I don't watch The Housewives, but I did start watching them on TikTok. So I, I feel you. It's amazing. Get into it. It's, like, a, a life study I love. So Housewives is, like, the most daunting because there's so much of it. But I think I'm going to do like Summer House and Winter House. And then I'm going to do Housewives. I think that's perhaps the order just because I feel like I can like pump out Summer House. Also, as as a Pennsylvania girly, like someone brought this up to me recently that like there should be a Housewives of the Mainline. What's a recent today I learned moment from you? This isn't a new learning, but it just like was a good reminder that the other day I was talking to, I met a new person. It was like a relative of a friend of mine and they are a Democrat. They, you know, support a lot of the same things I do. And they were just talking about some different candidates and some different things that I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and like, I didn't know there were people that supported the person that they said, like in real life, I hadn't met one yet. I'd only seen them as like memes and on social media. Then I like explained some of like potentially why they would not want to support those candidates or whatever it was. And they just had no idea. And so it's always good to like kind of scary, but good reminder of like talking to people and like the, the misinformation that can happen. <sighs> yes, I have also experienced that. That is intense. What's a meme or gift that made you lull recently? 
So we're coming off the night of the VMAs. And so there's a lot of content that comes from that. And not to bring everything back to Taylor Swift, but like to bring everything back to Taylor Swift. Whenever she's at like these award shows in her recent years, like I think because she's just like feels good and comfortable in herself now. She just is always having the best time. And all of the like little videos of her just like singing along and having like, I love those. I also, because of the Kylie, Timothy Chalamet, like all of that, all of the old videos of Timothy Chalamet coming up on my feed of him like dancing, like all of the, there's, there's so many different references that you can have, but like his digital footprint I, if he can do it, like anyone can do it, like, like the, the pipeline of like his digital footprint is just so funny to me. And whenever the videos pop up, like, like be cringy, be earnest, like do all the things that you love doing. Okay. So how do you take Timothy and Kylie's photos to make like a viral (laughs) Fetterman campaign moment? I don't know. I'm sure there's some tie that we could have very honestly. I like one thing, and I think they did a great job of like the media and then like putting it out of like his recent response about McCarthy's like bogus impeachment of President Biden, of John's reaction with like oh god, yes, spirit, spooky fingers, yeah, like ooh, like that was just such a funny, fun moment. And I'm glad that it was like highlighted and like everyone got to see it. Oh my god, the spooky fingers, I loved it. Ooh. We're all about joy and queer joy around here. What's a moment of joy we can end on? Something that made you happy lately or something that's coming up? I'm about to go and have a weekend with some of my friends, like some of my longtime friends and celebrate. And it's just like always nice to kind of log off and do things offline. And I've gotten to do a lot of that this summer a little bit in preparation for knowing that next summer is likely not going to be that way going into a presidential year. But like, I've gotten to spend a lot of time with like the people new and old in my life. Like also over the last year, like just from the campaign in politics, whatever, like I've just met so many incredible people like outside of their like work that are just like good humans. And so getting to like actually spend time I think one thing that surprises people is that like I'm on my phone way less. Like I just, I like, I'm a big quality time girl. And so just getting to do that. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm, I've enjoyed getting to do a lot of that this summer. Okay. So you told us that you actually keep your phone on do not disturb regularly. Tell us more. And are we about to finish the episode with a life-changing hot tip? So I had to go into the settings and I, I learned that like, if you're on do not disturb, it automatically sends people to voicemail. And I don't want that because if I'm getting a call, I want to be able to like see if I should take the call or not. But I know who I'm going to be hearing from. Like my phone is always in my hand. And so like, it's not that do not disturb means like I'm not working or I'm not like checking things. It's more of just like for my personal, like not always having the notifications, just like constantly popping up, like having people when they go in and they see honestly that it says like Annie's on do not like is it important like is it and I think that it's just it's just a boundary that like I I like doing for myself and I think that as I've had to be more online and on my phone from a professional aspect also from like a personal professional aspect and like all these things like I've gotten a lot healthier on these platforms actually which is probably surprising to people but it's because i I've had to do it or else like you can just go nuts. And so, yes, I I highly recommend being on, which is, is, is probably a hot take, but I, I like have do not disturb on. I have red receipts on for everyone. Like, I don't know. I think it's just like over communicating what I need, but like in a little digital visual way. Protect that energy queen. I love that tip. And I loved this conversation. Is there anything we missed? No, I, I loved But I I said that, like, I'm always the political, love pop culture, love making things political, even, I mean, everything's political. But I, Jonathan and I have met before. Ah. The reason was, it was when I lived in New York, and I went to this show, and I I asked probably the only political question at the Q&A. And it's because I was a gymnast for, like, my entire life. 
And that was when the Larry Nasser stuff was really happening and USA Gymnastics stuff. And like USA Gymnastics at the time was just like not handling things well. And I asked what their take was on it. Oh my God. It was Faye that brought us back together today. I love that. And I can't believe I didn't like catch on sooner. Annie, I'm obsessed with you. And thanks for coming on Getting Curious. We love you so much. But what's next for you and how can we follow along? Personally, I am Annie, A-N-N-I-E underscore Woo, W-U underscore 22 on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, X. What, what, literally whatever will pop up, that is, that is my at that I made when I was 14 years old and that will stay my at forever. And then with the work that I'm doing, I'm doing work for the AAPI Victory Fund. I'm doing work with the Working Families Party, particularly in Pennsylvania. And there's some, like we talked about, really important races like the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania elections coming up. So any work there. And then also just, you know, supporting Democrat and progressive candidates up and down the ballot is something that I just like personally have a vested interest in and young people, particularly in this space, obviously with the caveat of like with ideologies and things that still align, but like supporting that on local, state, national levels is just a blanket great thing that I always recommend and just getting involved. So I really appreciate you having me. This was, this was so fun. And yeah, just left chatting. Ah, Annie, we will certainly be following along. Thank you so much for coming on Curious Now. You've been listening to Curious Now with me, Jonathan Van Ness. You can learn more about this week's guest and their area of expertise in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on and follow us on Instagram at CuriousJBN. I also talk a lot about the podcast on my TikTok if you want to follow me over there on official JBN. Curious Now drops every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to tune in next Monday for an episode of Pretty Curious and every Wednesday for Getting Curious because Getting Curious still every Wednesday. Don't even ever worry about it. But you still can't get enough? You can subscribe to Extra Curious on Apple Podcasts for commercial-free listening, which I love, and our subscription-only show, Ask JBN, where we're talking sex, relationships, and so much more. Our engineer is Nathaniel McClure. Our theme music is also composed by Nathaniel McClure. Curious Now is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Chris McClure, and Allison Weiss, with production support from Julie Carrillo, Ann Curry, and Chad Hall. 